In Oxnard, California. Okay, all right. And Ventura County. All right, got you. So I came up and, and I saw you, and I had kind of seen you on social media, but not face to face. But when I heard your your commentary, your dialogue, I was like, oh, this dude is off the chain because uh, I was doing similar with uh, the LABC League. Right. Back in 2017, me and Fredo was filming uh, their games and doing commentary. And Fredo stuff. being? Uh, Fredo Cervantes. All right. Give your folks their props, man. Yeah, Come yeah, on. No, hey, good no, prop. cool. It's Fredo Cervantes, man. <laughs> This, so, that's, his, that's, his, that's his partner on camera. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it was just a pleasure, man. You're right. Great, great, great guy. Uh, I had heard a little bit about your experience. And so just with me, wanting to meet you right. and kind of just see the relatedness. That's what I listen for, relatedness. Right. So, but, and we're going to get into that word, too. But yeah. before we go to the relatedness, now we'll still relate to basketball. So as the owner of the Oxnard Orcas, that is an American Basketball Association yeah, yeah, yeah. team. Mm -hmm. Okay, talk about your experience or talk about just the American Basketball Association in general and the opportunities that it afforded for either semi-pro or people striving to go to, uh, so let's say, overseas into Europe or even maybe into the G League. Yeah, definitely. The ABA has been around for years. Mm -hmm. uh, recently came back in 99-2000 uh, era, um, started putting up franchises, so I was introduced to it about two years ago mm -hmm. and had an opportunity to purchase a team. Right. Uh, my ultimate goal was to provide that next generation of basketball, not just the skills, but some mental toughness as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but what it affords, again, you look at the NBA, you look at the G League, and then you look at overseas, and then ABA is somewhere right in between the overseas, right, and their own on their own platform. But if you're looking for an opportunity, mm -hmm. exposure, uh, video, you know, uh, travel, um, get to that next level. We, our plan is to have scouts and come out and, and check out the, the players and stuff. So there is an opportunity to be seen. Right. And again, you can use that footage and that, um, you know, information to get overseas and possibly and play overseas or up to another, you know, higher level. And it's funny you said that too, because even if, even as the conversation moves now, I'm going to move it toward the, the military aspect of this, right? Because one of the things that happened, uh, I spoke to a mutual friend of ours, Dr. Sharon Toscano, oh, yeah. and uh, uh, she mentioned about the uh, Oxnard Orcas and said maybe you should call them because they, ha because they have a media team, mm -hmm. right? But in her description of you, she said, quote, you'll love for Ron, <laughs> not only because your name sounds almost the same, but he has an <laughs> F on the front, right. but, but he's been in the military and he's real heavy on discipline mm -hmm. in his organization. So how does the military discipline play into sports in a relatable way? Man, I mean, integrity, uh, confidence, courage, like all of that plays into us as people. I have to be a little bit different because the military mindset is a little bit more disciplined than your average player. Right. Right. Because of the mindset that we take on, the survival skills that we learn. So it's a little bit different than sports. But who you get to be as that person applies to that because you have to be able to have that mindset to want to that self-drive like you've got to have a lot of stuff inside of you to want to be able to even play those sports or play that game so well let me ask you this because in that same vein uh militaries drill mm -hmm. they constantly drill over and over and over again and that's the same thing like in sports as well right mm -hmm. yeah constantly going over the same drills no matter from childhood all the way through the nba and beyond right right so We'll back up here just a little bit. So at one point, you was a ball player. 
yeah. actively on the court. <laughs> I, right? I forget that because I, I joined the military at 19, that I grew up playing basketball, played basketball at high school, Fairfax, um, played a little bit in the military, but I, I kind of discounted the whole basketball world because of my military career. Right. And, and then after getting hurt, uh, I could no longer exercise like I used to, and so I lost that whole basketball ability uh, physically, and so it kind of minimized my my love for the game, and I focused on more of just you know trying to survive life. Trying to survive life because because of the mili- the uh, sickle cell trait exertion that I experienced with erythromyelitis um, affected my joints, uh, my ability to overexert myself or push myself without right. feeling sick, feeling nauseated, and so I had fears. I mean, because I almost died from that. Right, and so. Wanting to exercise and, and and play basketball like I used to, they was like, you have to scale that back. And I'm like, I'm not scaling nothing back. Hmm. But I had to realize that my body was not going to, was able to do what I used to do. So so when you find that, right, and this is, I think, uh, a perfect question for what we're talking about, especially with the military experience. When you find yourself in a position where your body, the one thing, the machine, the the, hmm. the, the, the organic, you know what I'm saying, when that starts to go bad, right, and in your situation where we're talking about being being athletic and this is the way that you keep in shape, mm-hmm. what do you switch to to continue staying strong? Man, let's, that's a good question because I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> <laughs> All I can tell you is, is that moment of my basketball career and that military career coming to an end, uh, my identity, like I internalized it mm-hmm. and I tried to play half court basketball i tried to play video games something that would kind of feed that right um athleticism but i i, I had nothing man and so until i got educated and with some knowledge and some understanding about myself and who i was mm-hmm. i was then able to stop internalizing it and sometimes i would just go in the gym just to be in the gym just to smell the sweat off the walls and hear the squeaky floor like that right. was satisfying so just to being in that environment was was starting to become enough. And when you find, when you get to that place where you settle on that, I'm assuming, I'm going to make an assumption, yeah. right, that there is a uh, element of spirituality in there. Yes. Okay, let's explore that a little bit. Now, how does the spirituality fit into a place where you find yourself having to get comfortable with not having the body that you used to have at that time? You have to be able to self-examine, for one, um, the principles are across the board. I had to understand that I could not be athletic, right? I had to understand that my mindset had to shift. Mm-hmm. But the spiritual part of it was being okay with my life the way it was and accepting that. Like I had to accept my body because I used to look in the mirror for that 19-year-old army body. Mm-hmm. That body was gone, hmm. right? So now you're talking about your, your well-being, because sometimes if I'm not doing this, then I don't feel good. So now you're looking at your well-being, your vitality. Like all that is, is spiritual, but also mental. Hmm. So being able to accept where I was at in life was, was huge. I had to also forgive myself because I was mad at myself for sprinting that day. So there was another level of forgiveness on the spiritual side that I had to work through because I was carrying that weight of I was mad now, I shouldn't have ran. I should have just... Thinking that that was the problem. That was the problem, yeah. if I, Only if I hadn't ran. If I had, exactly. Not what was actually behind it. Exactly. And, and the reason I bring that up is because, in a sense, 
you had been placed inside a prison. Yes. And a minute ago, earlier, we were talking about finding things that are relatable. And when you said that, I understand that intimately as well. Mm-hmm. Being incarcerated in a cage where your body can't do what it wants to do or what you want it to do. Yeah. It's not responding because there are restrictions that are now placed on it. And so not from a carceral perspective, but from a societal perspective, how does that feel when you're walking around like that? Man, we're, <laughs> we're taught in the beginning that civilians are not going to understand you. Like we're, right. we ob- and we objectify so much that I can turn that human being into a terrorist and, and kill that person. Hmm. So it's easy for me to disconnect myself from a civilian right. because of the mindset shift. Right. So being able to figure out how to peel some of those layers off, I had to fig- I had to work through that. And, mm-hmm. and the, the relatedness conversation was what I found, because a lot of times you try to understand somebody. I'm only going to listen to what you're saying that I understand. And I'm throwing everything else away that you're saying. Man, it's crazy you said that. <laughs> it is crazy you said it. Keep going, brother. It's yeah. Crazy. So so being able to. Yeah, I don't as a civilian, I don't want you to understand me. But if, if you could relate to me, if you could use your imagination and what would you do in that situation? Now, that gives us more dialogue to have. But if you're but, trying to understand me, you don't. If you ain't been in the military, you're not going to understand me. That calls for a level of empathy is the word yeah. I believe we're looking for, what we're talking about, which is to be able for me to take myself out of my body mm-hmm. and put it into your position and look at the world how you looked at exactly. it in that moment. Exactly. And why you made the type of decisions that you made in that moment. Exactly. Right. And I think that's a heavy haul right now, not just um, in Los Angeles, but I think across the country. Oh, that's a it's a national issue because we're dealing with people. Right. And depending on your environment, how you was brought up, uh, how you describe life, how you talk about life. That's why we're talking about these different principles, because you've got to be able to put your feelings and emotion aside mm-hmm. and to engage in another person's conversation. So here we go on the principles, right? Because I like that because we talked about this before and it's something that I told you that I actually live by, mm-hmm. right? These are principles that carried me through prison, you know, 26 years of prison and 22 months home. And they are character, mm-hmm. humility, accountability, integrity, and responsibility. And I tell people, this is the chair that I sit on yeah. so I can look people in the face and talk to them. Mm-hmm. So I can share who I am in a transparent way because I sit on this chair. It foundates me. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about that because I know you feel the same way when I gave it to you. You was yeah. like, yeah, that right there. So we're going to start with character. Yeah. What is character? You know, a character is when you really search yourself to discover what kind of person you are and the person you want to be, those are the qualities. We talk about moral compass. Mm-hmm. We talk about how we treat people. We talk about, but how do you treat yourself? Like a lot of times we keep looking at outside of us. And, and, and I had to begin to be honest. I thought I had a good character in my military career. Mm-hmm. I had it. Right. But in my personal life, I had no integrity. I had very little character because I was dealing with so much of my past issues that I had never addressed or even knew to address. So how I pretended to be okay, you know, you ever heard of a racket? Yeah. So we got the ice cream in the front and then in the back is the guns and the drugs. Right. That's how we walk around sometimes. Hmm. With a mask on. People describe it as a mask. We pretend like everything is fine, but then in my mind, I'm hurting. 
So how can you begin to even understand what your character is, understand what your morals are mm -hmm. when you're dealing with stuff internally? The definition I give for character is what you do when no one's looking. How you are when no one's looking, how you are when nobody's paying attention to you and you think no one's looking, that's <laughs> where character sets at. Yeah. You know, because if you're, if you're a thief, you'll steal when no one's looking. Yeah. But if you're an honest person, you're going to be that way when no one's looking. And so that moves me to humility. Yeah. Because a person with character has to develop a certain level of humility. Do you agree with that? And if you do or disagree, explain why. I, I agree with you only because, again, the military training that I've had, you know, there is still a level of humility in there because when you experience what you experience and you around people who are in countries who are different environments. Right. Like we I believe we naturally have that as people like we naturally have those qualities. But what gets in the way to allow us to express those qualities is where the problem is for me. Mm -hmm. Right. So understanding that you can be empathetic, you can have sympathy. The, the Bible says, treat your neighbor, love your neighbor in the same measure that you love yourself. Right. Well, that's the humility, because if I don't love myself internally, how am I going to love you as my neighbor? How am I going to have that? And if I do have it, it's only going to be enough to, enough to, to, to show it to you. But I'm not going to give you the full hmm. expression. Hmm. Because I'm also missing that because I want that, too. And if you're not being that for me, then I can't. I'm not going to be it for you. That's uh, interesting, because when I talk to people about the word uh, humility, mm -hmm. I let them know that it, root word is the same as the root word for humble mm -hmm. and the same root word for humiliation. Mm -hmm. And walking in prison is difficult to be humble. Because there's a certain strength that people don't guarded. understand. Yeah, because you got to be guarded. Right. And they don't understand the strength of humility to prevent you from acting out on somebody. It's not what people say to you. It's yeah. how you respond to it. Yeah. That's where the humility rests at. And for me, like I said, it's more to the point of understanding that to be humble means to lower yourself when you don't have to. If I don't have to lower myself, arrogance will make me stand up with my chest up. Mm. But the humility for the blessings that I receive makes me sit back and, and just be humble and keep a big smile on my face. But what what's behind that that allows you to be that kind of person? That's the what what's behind. But the answer to that question is a lot of people would have to ask themselves that. Right. And the, if you don't ask yourself. Right. Or you don't address your past. The reason I can be humble is because I know who I am. And I know what I've done and I know what I've been capable of in a positive and negative way. Right. So it's easier for me to be humble and kick back and try to give back. Right. And take bullets and stuff for how I used to live yeah. versus responding to that stuff and then getting caught up in a lot of nonsense, which leads me to the next letter. <laughs> right. Yeah. Accountability. Right. Talk about that, not from a military perspective, but talk about it from a sports perspective on a team sport. Man, accountability. I, I break that out because. I made a decision as a child about being responsible, right? But then I also learned that being committed mm -hmm. is different. So I was a responsible guy, but I would give my, my word to stuff that I wasn't committed to, hmm. to, to taking on. Hmm. So I didn't look bad, right? So when you talk about accountability, some, again, you've got to be able to look in your own life to figure out 
your accountability and also being responsible for your actions without blaming anybody. Right. As you said, you are able to now look back and be like, you know what? Yeah, I did this. I did that. And I own it. And it doesn't tri- I'm sure it doesn't trigger you anymore if you talk about it or you hear about it. No, um, I think my triggers come more from um, being if I'm around somebody who I see not taking accountability and responsibility. Mm-hmm. And if they're close to me, that definitely bothers me. But on the whole, I've gotten used to this society. Actually, I've seen nobody is even held accountable. for No, most of the that, stuff well, they that's what well, that's and that's the issue that as, as, as coming out of the military and then you become in in the civilian world, we're held at account. We're held accountable for from the, the way you look. From the way your shoes are shine, from the way your if all your buttons are buttoned, like right. the way your hat is, the way it better be, like all of that, you're accountable because it impacts the integrity of the whole force. Hmm. And so when you look at in society, society, we it's it's a cause and effect world. Because hmm. of this, this happens. So I don't really get to be responsible or accountable because we talk about oh karma. We'll let karma take care of it. Like, you can't see karma outside your window. So those are ways of being. And again, if, if, you're, if your experience of yourself is not whole and complete and you're thwarted by things of disappointments or your, like whatever that is, you're not going to be able to be accountable because you're always going to be at the effect of society. Hmm. And that actually leads to the next word, integrity. Because individuals who have character yeah. <laughs> and individuals who understand what humility is and know that humility is actually a shield, right, to protect um, who you are as a person. Yes. You know. I say character is the threshold. Right. <laughs> and then humility is the shield. Yeah. Right. Then you have accountability when you do this, put it up. And now we're talking about integrity. Do what you say. It's really that simple. Do. Say what you do. And, and, and your word. But see, the thing about it, I learned about integrity is people think it's perfect. Like you got to be perfect. Like if I give my if I give if I make a promise to you, me keeping my promise is saying I'm not going to keep my promise. Hmm. That's integrity. Right. I'm going to keep my word. To say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to be able to do that, even though I promised you that I could do that. But if, if you have that in your mind where it's perfection, mm-hmm. then you're, you're not going to have integrity. Mm. So this, the spiritual aspect of it gives you the confidence to have integrity, to honor your word in society, in your mind, your mind, will, and your emotions, it's not natural in there mm. because you're, so the mind will emo- is a survival state. So I'm going to do whatever I, it takes for me to survive life and I don't care about your life. That's where the humility comes from. Because if you're living in a survival state of mind, you're not going to be able to experience that naturally. Hmm. Because I'm, it's, it's self, self-accumulation. Yeah. So and it leads I got to the last word. Right. Responsibility. Response-able. And we all are. Response-able. <laughs> Talk about that. Because, again, if, you, if you're living in the uh, cause and effect world... That there's a whole world that comes with that, right? And again, so if I'm being responsible for my actions and I'm honest with myself and I give my word of integrity to myself, then even if I say something or I don't say something, it still has an impact on people around me, and I'm aware of that. But if you're not aware of that, then I say what I said and you deal with it because well, I'm not responsible for 
one of the teachings that uh, that came across to me when I was inside, and it fits perfect to this, is that um, there's four listeners. I mean, there's four people involved in the conversation. Mm -hmm. There's the two people that's talking. There's the person that's listening. And then there's the person who's the listener went and talked to and told them what they heard. <laughs> right. And that's what this reminds me of, because in that what you find is people have to really take their time and be careful what they're saying. Yes. Because somebody is always listening and you don't know what part of what you said was heard. And what part went out. That's why integrity is so important, because if you're not don't give your word, if you're not going to if you're not going to follow through with it. But we give our word and our word. We give it so freely that it's so it's damaging and we don't understand how damaging it is. Mm -hmm. Like you talk about even if you have a child and you and your child says, come throw food, you know, come play catch with me. Oh, yeah. Later and later. And you never do it. Well, that child is going to one day not even ask you to play catch no more because right. your word means nothing. Right. That's integrity. And I didn't get that. Like I said, in the military. Oh, I'm full on integrity. But I heard a guy say that story about his son. And then I looked in my life like, oh, I don't have in, I don't really have integrity in mm. my again, because we decompartmentalize our life, family life, work life, basketball life. It's still you showing up. Right. So how can I have integrity in the military? But then I don't have none in my personal life. That didn't even make it didn't even make sense. So when we start talking about that, right, how do we help people or even uh, find a way to bridge those gaps within ourselves to find a way to say, okay, this is what I'm doing in my personal life. And it has obviously an effect in my other areas of my life. Yeah. Where do we show people how the cause and effect comes in and how we erase those lines to live a straight holistic life like that? You've got to find some principles outside of how you feel about life. Hmm. You've got to find something that you believe in. Maybe some of those things that your parents taught you that don't work for you no more. Mm -hmm. You've got to challenge those. Hmm. I had to challenge the first 40 years of my life with things that I learned from my environment, things I learned in the military, and things that I thought that the person that I wanted to be. And a lot of that stuff didn't work anymore. So how did you bring all that together? Everything that we talked about in your past when we we're talking about being an advocate for the sickle cell trait. Mm -hmm. And then we're talking about being a 24 year military veteran, which obviously means you speak for vets and VAs and whatnot. Yeah. And then using your sports platform to do all this. <laughs> how did you take those threads and bring them together and come with such a successful show so far? The, the first part of it was my philosophy, my philosophy. Right. When I got medical retired from the military. I was severe depression. Mm -hmm. I was like, I had a plan. I, I was ready to go. And I held on to my youngest daughter mm -hmm. because it was like, I know I have mental toughness, right? I've never really had stress. If I did have stress, I would leave it on the court or I'd leave it in working out. And the education that I was introduced challenged my beliefs. It, mm -hmm. it taught me the study of the being of human beings. And a lot of times we think the stuff that we do as human beings, we, I got to do this, but we discount our experience. You sound like you just dropped a piece from Rumi right there. Though. <laughs> so I, I learned. Is, I, that, is that where that came from? No, that I, wasn't Rumi? I, no, I learned from it that we have our activities of life and we have our experience of life. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we focus on the stuff that we do, not our experience of the confidence, the courage, the integrity, like we don't focus on that because we've been damaged 
from relationships where I'm disappointed in you, so I'm not going to show that. I don't care about that experience. Right. Just do what you say you're going to do. But you can't discount that person's experience because now you're dealing with something in your life experience that if I'm not aware of or I'm not listening for, then, then there's something wrong with you. Hmm. So you have all these. So I broke it down like this. My, my ideology, my philosophy, and my theology. Those three I stand from. Would you like to share some of those? Yeah, for sure. Go ahead. So the philosophy was the first one that I challenged. Mm -hmm. and, and that's where I looked with that education. And I saw that who I was being in life was frustrated, upset, mad, angry. But I could also be calm, patience, acknowledgement, gratitude. Were you acting in both of those situations on both sides? I, I had little bits of both. Okay. But what... The places where I was comfortable is where I had the integrity. Hmm. If there was something in life that was challenging or change or risk, then I, if I didn't have it in that area, then I'm not going to be, I'm not going to have my, I'm not giving my word to that. So hold on, watch this now. One <laughs> of the reasons I have Ferran on here right now, right, is because I trust Ferran. He and I have talked on a few occasions and he made me aware just listening to him that he understood about mental health and wellness, hmm. that he understood about when people are having mental breaks. Right. And the traits and the signs that come up with that. Right. And because I'm so open about who I am, I brought him on here so we can have this conversation and have it so people can hear it. So anybody listening who knows me and knows my history can easily tell you, man, that guy was talking about his mental health and wellness years ago. What I'm doing is bringing somebody in now who has went through this type of journey that I went through in prison inside. He had to do his in a prison outside, trapped inside of a body that he no longer recognized anymore that was being taken away from him. And what was left was his mind. Yes. And that's where we're going to go into this part of the conversation as we close out. Because when we start going into the mind, we both understand that we both <laughs> talked about the journey yeah. to go back to ancient Egypt or what we call Al-Kemet. Mm -hmm. Right. What are some of the teachings or what are some of the things that you've read in that specific area that you use now when you start approaching mental health and wellness? Man, so after that philosophy, it brought me back to church. I had hmm. been out of church for 20 years, right? Baptist and all that kind of stuff. And it was more religious than relationship. Right. So when I started to do my own research and doing my own reading and reflecting, a lot of the Greek philosophy is where society gets its corrupted information from. And that really, really, that stuck out to me the most. That Greek philosophy, that democracy, it's so, it's, it doesn't work. Hmm. So being able to, as the Bible says, you know, we're, we're a part of this world. We're not from this. Part of it, but not of it. Of it, right? So now it's like, okay, I'm challenging my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions up against something that I now believe. So I have the philosophy that I believe in, and now I'm working on my theology, which is going to be my relation with Christ. That sounds like uh, contrast and compare in just a simple way. to put Yeah. It. OK. All right. So continue. So that so that Greek when I when I dove into the Greek philosophy and you look at how the Romans controlled the world with those belief systems. OK, now, wait a minute. Well, you say those belief systems. Yeah. Right. Now, I have to interject here because yeah. this is hard in the paint. Yeah. So just to make sure that we're still sports connotated. Yeah. Some of those beliefs was the gladiators. Exactly. Okay, all right. Controlled by dominate is, is one of the ones that I, I shared earlier, that this world is created from that belief or the philosophy that you control by dominating. Hmm. But it, it doesn't work 
in communication in language. Mm. It's it's threatening the brain. If you understand the brain, we'll talk about the brain later. The limbic system, where emotional and your short-term memory is centered, that's silent trauma when hmm. you control and dominate someone. It's emotional. And so it doesn't work. But the world systems are managed and created to, to use that philosophy to control and dominate us by conversations, by belief systems. Mm-hmm. They call it race. Like they, it's, it's, so, it's labeled as so many different one of, the, one of the roots of the word democracy, right, goes all the way back to the word demigod, right? And when you look at politics, when you look at politics, yes. which is a full contact sport, yes. if you get into politics, understand it's hard in the paint too. Yes. You can't run up in there and don't know the rules and don't know how to fight. One of the things you find is politicians use demagoguery of groups <laughs> to rally against other people to get their votes together. Exactly. Right. And so when you look at the root of the, the root of the word democracy, this is what you find. Taking small groups of people and pitting them against each other yes. until you get them in a position where you yes. get what you need as a voter, yes. as the person getting the vote so you can get in a position so you can manage or mismanage. Yes. From a governmental position. Yes. And that's that is that is destroying not just our country as people. That's the chair that's not there. Because we use it, as I said earlier, to objectify mm-hmm. in sports. Mm-hmm. You put a Laker jersey on, I put a Clipper jersey on, I'm going to talk to you through that jersey, not as a person. No, I'm going to be wearing the Clipper jersey, brother. And, you can wear the Laker jersey. But either way. I'm going to be wearing the Clipper jersey. The point is that we've seen people kill each other right. over a jersey. Over a jersey. At a, at a game, at an event, because of... I'm no, I'm, I don't see you as a person. I see you as that rival team. It's the way you just said that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you in because inside of prison, it's, it's um, the, what did they call it again? The thingification of a person mm. where that person is no longer a person. They become a thing mm-hmm. because whatever it is that you're trying to do, they can't be human. They have to be a thing, exactly. something less than. Exactly. And so they don't matter into the plan that I'm trying to put down. Exactly. Interesting you said that. I want to uh, I want to walk out of this subject on that note, but I want you to bring us out on a positive tip, because when you find yourself either the victim of bullying or the victim of being oppressed or you come into the realization that you have been a bully or you are oppressing somebody, mm-hmm. how do you what, what would you suggest or what is your personal method to step back from that? You've got to be able to, and we've, we've been trying to describe it, you've got to be able to remove yourself out of that conversation mm-hmm. and be present to the people around you. Because if you, if you discover that, that you have been doing that to people, then you can now reflect and imagine what the other person been dealing with. Mm-hmm. So well, now you're on the empathy again, too. So now you're listening, you're listening to that and you're communicating differently because if I was that kind of person... And I can only imagine what you're dealing with. Hmm. And that allows me to put my stuff aside and just kind of just get a sense of where you're at. Hmm. Man, I ain't got to agree with you. Right. But the objectification, the military took our, you know, they take that malleable brain and objectify that human being to a terrorist. The police do it because now you're a suspect. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do it as a survival skill or a, a 
because we were taught that. Make sure you stay away from them kind of people. Make sure you don't go over there. Make sure you, so we've been taught to objectify, but out of, again, it goes back to the exclusion and inclusion of objectification, which is the emotional part that you can do, you can provide all the laws, you can give us all the diversity you want, but if I'm, if I don't experience that for myself, then it's not, it, it's not inclusion. Hmm. It's not, because I don't experience it. It's an experience, it's not just what you do for people, there's also an experience. And hmm. so the stuff that we have within our society that the laws and all that, we was never included in that stuff anyway. So how could we be humanized it was, in it? And, and we do, and you, and our, if you were born, if you're black and you're born in the United States, then you've got the Jim Crow that was an emotional piece to that as well. And each one of these pieces you talk about is another layer of psychological yes, warfare that, put against emotional, people. That's the emotional, that's the... Which becomes intergenerational trauma. When you, when, when Lee Atwater in 1981, when he let the Irish... Polish and all the people who would check the box white. They were included because of their race into the white category and then they marginalized Hispanics, African Americans, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans. 1960s? 1981. That was Lee Atwater. Lee Atwater. I'm thinking 1968 when the Southern Democrats all switched over to Republican. Well, that was with the, yeah. with the Southern strategy, right? That was the, which was created one of those the modern strategies. day Republican it, Party. Exactly. Now we went into politics. I didn't want to go. I didn't want right? to go there either because <laughs> I don't really do it. But you got to go there because when you when you understand, I'm learning now as the Commonwealth, hmm. right? When you understand Commonwealth on the spiritual, this is from the spiritual side of it. Some of the behaviors in our government system it plays on the part of the lower class people, and they don't, I'm going to say it, they don't want to solve homelessness. They make, they make millions, billions of dollars just talking about homelessness with no solving the issue. Hmm. Because in that commonwealth, you're talking about, some people call it capitalism, you're making money off the poor. So we could solve homelessness. We could solve a lot of these problems. They're, they're spending the money to talk about it, though. Yeah. And that seems to be the currency in today's society. And then you want to blame the athletes because he ain't spending his money to solve it. How come you're not giving back to your community? But you're the owner of the team. And because you said that, let me give a shout out to the Warriors on that one (laughs) since you mentioned it. Because definitely, they definitely give back. The NBA overall, but definitely in my case with the Warriors. Um, Look into that camera right there, right? And talk to 12-year-old Ferran. Oh my! <laughs> talk to t- talk 12 to twelve-year-old Ferran for about thirty seconds, right there. Hey, twelve-year-old Ferran, <laughs> let me tell you this, man. Your parents did the best they could with what they had. Your mom loves you, even though your grandparents, your grandparents raised you. That was to make sure that you made it to where you are today. So, forgiveness is very important. Uh, again, your father, even though your mom, they weren't married, your dad did the best he could with what he had and how he expressed his love to you and just take that and bring some forgiveness to that. Man. <laughs> you heard that 12-year-old Ron? I hope you heard that. Oh, please. Right? Because your, your older version's been sitting here with me. Before we close out today's show, I want to give a word of wisdom, right? Inside a prison, For 26 years, I lived a certain way. 
I didn't realize I was institutionalized mm. or being institutionalized, right? Not just in my, my thinking, but the way I moved. Mm. Everything was regimented and had to be set a certain way and put in a certain place. And it had to fit that way because of the space that I lived in, I had to make the most out of. Mm -hmm. That's how I approached everything outside on the yard while I was in prison as well. While I was organizing baseball and softball and uh, basketball leagues, I was using that same regimented thinking and putting it into organizational spaces. The thing about being in prison, though, there's not a lot of qualified people to do the things that I was doing. Mm -hmm. So I had to wear many, many hats while I was inside of prison over 26 years. I've been a sports writer, a sports broadcaster. I've been a league commissioner. I've been a head ref a referee. I've been the publisher of my own newspaper inside of prison. I've been the number one writer on that newspaper inside of prison. Even as well, I was a referee. I've been a coach, a mentor. I am an imam currently, and I've also been a counselor. I wore all those hats in 26 years. Sometimes I wore up to seven hats at one time. So I'm an expert on being incarcerated. However, recently I've learning mm. that I am only an infant when it comes to being formally incarcerated. For the past 22 months, I've been walking around and I didn't realize that I was offending people mm. because I was so regimented in my thinking and the way that I was moving, I thought and I felt that I was keeping myself out of the way. I didn't realize that the way I was speaking, as if I was speaking on the yard, was offensive out here to people who had no idea about my history, who had no idea that that hyper-masculinity inside of prison helped form me to become the person that I am out here now. Mm. To the point where I have literally been walking around offending people and did not realize it. Because 26 years of incarceration made me an expert, today I'm learning that I'm only 22 months old <laughs> when it comes to being formally incarcerated. So don't. So whoever, and whomever watches this show and sees this show, and here's my voice, please know that from the bottom of my heart, if I said anything to you or I done anything to you in the past 22 months that offended you, that made you feel uncomfortable, that made you look at me in a way that did not represent what I say I represent, I want to humbly apologize to you for that. For any and everybody who hears this, if you heard about it from somebody, that apology is extended to you as well. Because from this point forward, I can only speak about what I'm an expert on. And I'm an expert on incarceration. Mm. I am not an expert on being formally incarcerated. I'm only 22 months into this mm. and I'm still learning. And it's gonna be a development process and I'm going to offend more people in the process. And I'm humbly asking everyone to be patient with me because most people who came out of prison had the opportunity to actually debrief and talk about the things that took place to them in prison, the riots that they've been involved in, the psychological warfare from white supremacy coming from the carceral system day after day, year after year, and to decade after decade, and in my case, 26 years, three months and three weeks. So I'm definitely a work in progress. But that same drive, that same setup, it's what got me to sit here in front of you and be able to say what I'm saying to you. So if I did offend you, I apologize. But just know that was the only way I knew how to get here. My name is Aaron Showtime Taylor, and you have been hard in the paint.